Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We need to pick up where we left off last week. You remember, I looked at the clock, I felt extra gracious that morning, and I cut the message in half last week, promised to pick it up this week if the Lord didn't return. We're still here. You're here. You're still gracious. Thank you. And we're going to pick up where we left off. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we've come to a portion in our verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul begins to list a number of gifts of the Spirit, gifts that were endowments and special abilities uniquely given divinely by God to believers in the church individually and of his own will and design for the purpose of edifying the church, building up the church, strengthening it, bringing glory to God, exalting Christ. And so when we came to these, you remember I mentioned I felt it would be necessary and I thought it would be extremely helpful to us if we slowed down and we looked at a survey of the gifts that are listed throughout the New Testament as somewhat of a whole And then before we get back into the study and the context and look throughout the rest. So we're going to keep context in view. Always need to do that. But we have been sidestepping here for a moment, or I guess pausing really in our study, to look at a a specific section which I've entitled Discerning Spiritual Gifts. You can add part two (laughs) to the title this morning. All right? So context, if you're visiting with us, let me bring it up to quick speed and also remind you what we looked at last week. In chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians in your Bible, Paul is dealing with spiritual gifts. And apparently there were those within the congregation at Corinth who were um, not only abusing spiritual gifts, evidently some were not using their spiritual gifts, but others were clamoring over each other and feigning some spiritual gifts or forcing the use and the outworking of them for the purpose of believing that they had a gift that was more obvious, that was more upfront and showy and flashy and seen and so, so forth. So in looking at these gifts, the Apostle Paul begins to name a number of these and work to correct the Corinthians when it comes to the area of spiritual gifts. To help them understand that there were none that were more superior to the other. And if they believed so, that they were missing the point. And so, I reminded you of a little bit of a definition. Let me walk you back through that definition again. What are spiritual gifts? What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is referred to as, in Scripture, the manifestation of the Spirit. And the word manifestation is to show. So, a gift... A charisma is a supernatural function which can be seen. It's manifested. It's a a supernatural function of the Holy Spirit that is seen within the church. It's manifested. Spiritual gifts are rightly described, I believe, as supernaturally, graciously bestowed for the purpose of building up and edifying the church, the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are granted to every believer. By the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned. In the New Testament, in Paul's day, we see this for certain. And then as we study the gifts, we see, as I have delineated, that we believe 
that the scriptures would show that there are gifts certainly that have ceased and ceased to exist and stopped that were for a one-time interim purpose, and yet there are other gifts that continue today through the body of Christ. And so I gave you somewhat of a setup. I understand there's extreme cases to any position doctrinally, but there are two major um, uh, positions that would be quite different from each other. Our brothers and sisters in Christ that would claim to be um, a continuationists or believe in uh, the teaching and the doctrine of continuationism would mean that they believe all gifts that are listed in Scripture are still in operation today just as they were in the early church as we read about it in, in Corinthians and other passages as well. And then there's another camp as well that would believe, they would call themselves a cessationist, that some gifts have ceased for operation today in relevance as it is relevant, relative to the church today. They would believe that some gifts have ceased and are long, no longer in operation today. And people like that would point, we would point to passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verses 8 and verses 10. We look at the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. We turn to how the author of Hebrews wrote in chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. And the other position as well would also claim Scripture. And so we need to understand this this morning, that although I believe and we would teach as a church here all authenticating, authenticating gifts had ceased when Hebrews was written, like the Hebrews 2, 3, and 4 passage teaches us, that we would also understand and embrace, and I hope you hear me correctly and understand my heart this morning, that my purpose is not to use this pulpit or the Word of God to bash brothers and sisters that have a different understanding, but to clearly teach what I believe God's Word is teaching us and what we have come to find out and establish as a position here at Calvary Baptist Church of what the Scriptures teach for the New Testament church concerning spiritual gifts. It's not the purpose of bashing one other group or to raise one up and say everybody else is, is, is absolutely sinners or wrong. I believe that there are right and there are wrong positions. But I believe that there are good men and women that hold probably either or position. So let's look carefully at the scriptures and it is responsibility to remind each and every one of you, hence the title of the message, to discern before God with open Bible what is to be true. That's your responsibility. It's your privilege individually as believers. So let's look at these things. Last time, we looked at two general categories of gifts. We looked at the speaking gifts, and we looked at the serving gifts that were implemented in the church. But today, we'll look at a third category. The third category is temporary gifts, or sign gifts, which will conclude our survey on discerning spiritual gifts. And again, you understand that it's difficult to try and preach on a survey list without making each one of the items on the list that we survey and a message all in and of itself. So prayers are welcome even as we go this morning. That will be clear, concise, and timely. All right. Also understand, if you're, wow, this is interesting. This has invoked more questions than, than not. That's good. And we will probably come back to several of these um, sign gifts, as I understand them to be, at some time in the relative future and uh, spend some more time on them more lengthily. I'd also love and be willing to visit with you all um, individually afterwards and as time allows to try and make sure we understand scriptures appropriately. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him for guidance and we'll jump right in this morning. 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity in it. Thank you for uh, the reality that we can read it and seek to understand your truth in a normal, regular, grammatical way. We thank you that every one of us as Christians has the ability to um, understand and interpret Scripture as you would have. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that works in our hearts um, and our lives as we seek to discern what is right and what is not. Lord, help us to be loving, to be compassionate, to be patient, to be kind toward others. Many different backgrounds, many different understandings. But it is my responsibility, Lord, it is, it is each and every one of our responsibilities to understand Scripture, to develop convictions from it. And so I ask for guidance, that your word would be hear, heard this morning, not opinion, and that each and every one of us would be careful to discern the spiritual gifts listed here. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit of a review, very quick review here. Some of you may have been taking notes last week. If you have your notes still with you, you might be able to edit, modify. Not that anything has changed, but you might be able to fill in a few blanks and holes and things like this. But let me, let me just somewhat quickly remind you of some things we looked at last week. In the area of speaking gifts, we looked at a number of them. There were five speaking gifts. Remember, the first one that we looked at was prophecy. And we came to understand that Scripture teaches prophecy proclaims the truth. So prophecy is a proclaiming of the truth. Then secondly, we looked at knowledge, and knowledge clarifies the truth. Thirdly, we looked at wisdom. Wisdom applies the truth. Fourthly, teaching. Teaching imparts the truth to someone else. And then finally, and fifthly, we looked at exhortation in the area of speaking gifts, and we understood from Scripture that exhortation demands that truth be obeyed. There's a persuasion, a demanding, an exhortation there, encouraging that truth be obeyed. And so in the area of review on speaking gifts, we see that all of those that were listed that we looked at last week, they're all related to speaking the word of God, speaking the word of God. And then we looked at serving gifts. And let me remind you also that many of these gifts seem to um, overlap a little bit. There are many places in which they're not all, we love to just sometimes pigeonhole things, just make things black and white in our theology and our doctrine and our studying. In many cases, it is such. In other cases, we realize, well, there's a little bit of overlap. You know, if there's a gift here that's speaking, it also might have um, some compassion and patience and some other things here and so on and so forth. Things might um, overlap with each other. You might see some of that right now this morning. So secondly, last week we looked at um, uh, serving gifts. And there were six serving gifts we looked at. Let me just list them for you. Number one, there was leadership. Leadership was uh, what Scripture teaches us, the, the supervising the saints, the, the leadership and supervising Christians. There was leadership. Secondly, there was serving, and that is the supporting the leaders. Serving in a way which allows others to serve better or supporting those in leadership and serving others. There was giving Giving, the gift of giving, is um, one that supplies the needy, supplies those who are in need. And there's a gift of mercy. And the gift of mercy would be the gift of someone sympathizing with the sick, sympathizing with those who are poor or those who are distressed or in a place in a time of need. The gift of mercy. Then there was a gift of faith, and that is the gift of, of securing God's power through unshaken faith. An unshaken, strong, deep faith in the ability and the will of God. 
And then there was discernment. Discernment. The gift of discernment is the understanding, as we believe Scripture teaches, it saves the brethren from the counterfeit. It, it prevents and saves by others from what is counterfeit by identifying what is false, what is wrong. Gift of discernment. Then there was helps. Remember the gift of helps we talked about? Helps serves the church so others can function more effectively serving others and serving in many of the behind-the-scene ways, the gift of helps. And then there was administration, administration or governments, see in the scriptures. Administration sees a long-term goal and delegates and coordinates the responsibilities well. You see these gifts throughout the scripture. There are three primary places that we see these gifts. One is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The other is in Romans chapter 12. And then we see, it could be called gifts, there are more offices in Ephesians chapter 4. And in these passages, we've kind of, I've worked to bring them all together so we look at all these and, and get a, a little bit of a survey understanding of what each and every, what each and every one of these gifts were. That's what we've sought, to, what I've sought to do last week. But then we get to today, what we need to look at, and that is the area of temporary gifts. And I need to keep moving along here, so some of these things might be just tips of the iceberg, just, you know, one bite of the ice cream sundae, that we don't get to finish the rest of it. Maybe we just get the cherry on top this morning, and that's it, right? So here we go, a little bit of a survey concerning temporary gifts. There are four, I believe, temporary sign gifts listed, as the apostles write here in the New Testament. Four temporary sign gifts that God gave to the early church as a ministry to be used in the church with a specific purpose. And these enablements were given to certain believers with a specific purpose of either authenticating or confirming the word when it was being proclaimed, when it was being preached or spoken before the scriptures in the New Testament were completed and compiled and closed for our teaching today. These were temporary. Their primary purpose was to authenticate the message of the apostolic preaching and teaching. They had a specific purpose. So we come to the first. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look with me at verse 10, right in the middle of the list here, we find the gift of miracles. Verse 10 starts out, to another, the working of miracles. A miracle, as one has said before, I quote, a miracle is a supernatural intrusion into the natural law, which can have no other explanation than that God is acting and is responsible for the miracle that is seen, that is worked out. I believe that definition helps us understand in a concise way what a miracle is. These supernatural works could only be attributed to the power, in the Greek, the dunamis, of God. If you were to go over with me over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, and we see the, attribution, the, the, uh, the credit being given to God and his power, we see here, we pick up in the middle of Peter's sermon. He says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, 
as ye yourselves also know. We see a note here of, of, of Jesus himself performing miracles. We go through the Gospels, we read the Scripture, and we understand Jesus performed miracles, as well as others. In John chapter 2, actually, let's go over there for a moment. John chapter 2 and verse 11, we see Jesus performing miracles for a specific purpose. Not only the ability in his, in his, his, his um, divinity, in his being God and one with God. Well, you go to the Gospel of John, chapter, chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, And this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. This is kind of a looking back over the different miracles that Jesus had done, assuming the understanding, the knowledge of the miracles that Jesus had performed that we read about, not all of them, not all of them are recorded. There's another passage that reminds us of that. But the ones that are recorded, the ones that we see during Jesus' earthly ministry, the miracles he performed were for a purpose, and it was to manifest his glory, to authenticate who he was and where the power of God came from. And so miracles are confirming signs of the revelation of God. We study passages like this and many other throughout Scripture. That is always been, always will be their intent of miracles to confirm and authenticate the very word of God. Miracles, confirmation that God is being revealed. There's another passage I'll take you to in John for a moment. We're on a survey, so we're kind of flipping back and forth. But John chapter 20, verses 30 uh, and 31 Help us understand this a little bit more. Again, it's John chapter uh, 20, verses 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The purpose of miracles. The purpose of Jesus performing miracles was to confirm what was to be believed in the intent. And so additionally, miracles were sometimes performed also by the apostles. The Lord giving power and ability to the apostles, working through the apostles during the establishing of the early church as exhibited by the apostle Paul. You might think back of the different miraculous accounts throughout scripture that we read about. In Acts chapter 19, the apostle Paul, verses 11 and 12. If you were to go over to Peter and, and, and see his account in Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, and then Stephen as well in Acts chapter 6 and verse 8, and Philip in Acts chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, and among many others, and see the different miracles that were performed by apostles, and or, as Scripture says, in some cases, those who were close to the apostles, who were ordained and given the power and ability, in some cases, to perform miracles along with them. So, not only do we see it in Jesus, but we see it in apostles. We see a purpose, and that was to confirm the message, to point people to the glory of Jesus Christ, and it was used in that time. Now, there are people who claim to perform miracles today. You ever heard of them? You ever seen them? Maybe you've seen the claims, maybe you've seen the, the things of uh, attempts of miracles today. But really, in short, and without unpacking this even any further, a good 
diligent student of the scriptures can easily see the absence of biblical criteria for the miracles. Whereas today we see in many cases um, that claiming of performing miracles for the purpose of, of gaining financing and support and following and selective areas and so on and so forth. God designed miracles for a single purpose, to confirm his revelation. And once God had revealed himself, then the miracles had no continuing purpose in the church once the revelation of God was complete for the church today. I believe the New Testament clearly teaches that to us. And so maintaining with our survey this morning, we'll keep moving forward and we'll look at the gift of healings. So first understanding the gift of miracles being a temporal one time for an interim purpose in the gap of years where the New Testament wasn't completed to confirm the apostolic message it was being given was a place for miracles with Jesus, the apostles, and those who sometimes were close to the apostles. But then we come to healings. Look at verse 9. Somewhat a reverse order. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. To another by faith is spirit. To another the gifts of healing by the same spirit. Wouldn't it be great to have the gift of healing? <laughs> You'd be so busy you wouldn't be able to do anything. You know where I'd go if I had the gift of healing? Right to the hospital. Like, it puts you out of business. All the hospitals would want to suppress me, wouldn't they? Lose a lot of business. Maybe that wouldn't be a bad thing. The gift of healings is one of the temporary sign gifts. It is the ability to heal physically. The ability to heal physically. And so when we look at the New Testament, almost all healings done by Christ and the apostles, listen to this, occurred immediately. Almost instantaneously. And a person was, was immediately restored to health. Why do I emphasize that? Because in all the claims of healers today, possessing the gift of healing people today, how many times do you see someone claiming to be healed and then succumbing to their illness again shortly afterwards? Claiming to be healed and then dying of the cancer that maybe for a moment went into remission later on. How many people claim to be healed and they say, I've been healed and if I just do this for a couple of years, then maybe I'll progressively get better. No, you look at the different the gifts and the exercising of healing in that interim time in Scripture and they were moment momentous. They were, they were immediate. Somebody was healed immediately. One of the criteria in understanding the, um, the, the truth and reality of healing the phonies who claim the ability to miraculously heal today do so with a faulty view of God. A very low and, and flawed view of mankind. A very misdirected and ignorant view of sickness, which is rampant in our world today, isn't it? In fact, one has recently argued, I was listening to, argues that sickness is probably one of man's greatest needs, humanly, physically speaking. Sickness in the world today. Proponents of this, advocates of this, would, would often say things like this. All sickness is caused by Satan or demonic activity. So if you're sick and you're ill, it's because of sin, it's because of Satan, you're being oppressed by the devil, and so therefore you need someone to heal you so you can be freed of this illness and sickness. But do you know what John, what, what 
Scripture teaches us. In Job chapter 2 and verse 6, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 7 and 9, Scripture teaches us that not all sin is a, excuse me, not all um, uh, um, um, uh, illness nor sin is a result of satanic activity. Very easily could be a result of our own volition and decisions and free will. Some might also say wrongly about Scripture that God doesn't want anyone to be sick and He wants all to be healed. So therefore, you must flock and come to those who claim the gift of healing. And we need to clamor and, and run and find those who heal because God certainly doesn't want anyone to ever be sick and suffer. But we find that not to be true in Scripture and that's easily refuted. God is ultimately behind all sickness and suffering. God ultimately allows sickness and suffering. In some cases, God allows suffering to exist always for a purpose. But in many cases of purpose, we may not readily understand, but as we trust and turn to Him. Here's some passages. Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. And also Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 7. God is ultimately behind all sickness and illness. It doesn't make them cruel. It doesn't make them unjust. It doesn't make them righteous. Finally, there are also those who claim that lacking enough faith is what prevents one from being healed. We just don't have enough faith. So if we can just rally and summon and, 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 and force enough faith, then you will be healed. And so we need these healers to be able to convince people to have enough faith, and then they will just be healed of their physical sickness. But did you know that Scripture teaches us in places like 1 Timothy 5.23 and also 2 Timothy 4.20 that it is not God's sovereign will that everyone is to be healed? If you're, a person, if you're here this morning and you're suffering a physical illness, I don't say this to be cruel. God is never cruel. But in this time, in God's perfect plan, it is not his perfect plan that everyone, 100% of the time, unanimously is healed of all sickness. There's so much more to understand in these areas. Please don't ever say that I don't believe that God heals. I believe God heals. I believe that God heals in ways that, that, that in all other ways we can't explain other than miraculous in the sense that it was God that caused that healing, not any other man or woman's understanding. I've seen God heal. I've seen God heal in ways that cause our jaws to drop to the ground and just praise God for his miraculous healing. God heals. But God does not heal everybody for his specific purpose. And God does not heal today through the apostolic gift of healing that was used to confirm and to, um, to confirm the message that the apostles were relaying and that God was giving through Jesus. The gift of healing was a temporary sign gift for the authenticating of the scriptures as the word of God. And once that was authenticated, we can see both scripturally, historically, that that gift, sign gift of healing, has ceased 
to be active today. That does not mean that God does not heal today, but the gift of another human being healing others in a miraculous way, I believe, is clearly seen has ceased to exist today. By the way, that does not mean that God does not heal in response to faith of people praying. Pray for God's healing. Pray for, as James reminds us, to pray for God's will to be done in the area of healing. And I believe in many cases, God honors faithful prayer by responding in healing. I believe that very much takes place today. Very quickly, let's go now to our last, uh, second to the last, really, um, gift, interim sign gift, and that's the gift of languages. You say, I don't see that gift there. Well, you see maybe the word tongues in the scripture. And the clear, accurate, original language of the interpretation of tongues is that of languages. That helps us in even understanding the gift altogether. So look at that. Uh, chapter 12, verse 10, the gift of uh, languages, diverse kinds of tongues. Then we'll get to it in a moment, to another, the interpretation of tongues. Can't take one with the other. They're put there together. One is for the other. So we look at languages, and the gift of tongues was a divinely bestowed supernatural ability to speak in a human language that had not uh, uh, been learned by the speaker prior to that event. The gift of different kinds of languages. And so you had at that time and that age, when that was used, someone who did not otherwise know the language had the unique supernatural ability given by God to be able to speak in a tongue that they didn't know so that others could interpret that language so that that message of God could be heard and the gospel could be proclaimed and it could be sent as a warning to Israel and a message of God and his gospel to others to be heard in a, in a way that otherwise couldn't, would not have been able to. So this gift authenticated the message of the gospel and those who preached it as coming from God. It was an authenticating gift. It had a purpose. Interestingly, the very phrase diversity of tongues, diverse tongues, effectively eliminates the idea of a personal prayer language. That this is a personal edifying gift that I speak and mumble and babble in some ways that I don't know, but I was just blessed by God by it. We don't see that taught in Scriptures. Rather, we see that it was done for a public purpose, that it was done for a specific and unique purpose. The language of the original text teaches us it was done in a language that was to be interpreted accurately so that others can understand what was said so that the gospel might be clear and it might confirm the one delivering the message. The Greek verb used in chapter 13 and verse 8, cease, look at that, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. This is a, a sort of a proof text that we will often turn to concerning the absence of the existence of the spiritual gift of languages today in the church. But there's something more to that that I need to, to, in truth, be able to share with you concerning that. Although the verb means to cease permanently, that's what the original language teaches us here, and it implies that when tongues ceased, they, were, they would never start up again. This helps us understand this. But this proof requires further study as to when this ceasing was to take place. 
You see what I mean here? So the, the language tells us that this gift of speaking in tongues, this gift of speaking in language, was at some point in time going to cease. It was going to stop, and it was going to permanently stop. So then our more our charismatic brothers and sisters, we, we, would, we would come toe-to-toe in a loving way a little bit and say, wait a minute, um, yes, we, we, we agree that probably cease means it's supposed to stop. We can't deny that, our charismatic friends would say. And we said, see, that means it stops for today. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. It doesn't say when the ceasing is supposed to take place. Do you see the contention here? This is the, the discussion, the, the, the study that needs to happen. And so we won't get into that much more today. This is one of those gifts I want to come back to and study more thoroughly in the future. So although this, this, this requires future study as to when the gifts ceased, it is my conviction and understanding of scriptures that scripture and history in biblical church history help to indicate that tongues ceased with the apostolic age. And we can discuss that more, and I'll show more of that later, but I believe the gift of speaking in languages has ceased with the apostolic age as it ceased when the canon was completed, the revelation was completed, the scriptures were there for the church, and there was no other secret interpretation, secret knowledge that needed to be relayed. And so that brings us to the interpretation of languages, and this, I think, helps also. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10 in our survey. We'll end with this this morning. A person with the gift of interpreting tongues, as you study scripture, could understand what was being spoken. And they would then, in turn, communicate the message of the tongue's speaker so everyone could understand. This is what the accounts of the speaking and diverse languages helps us understand. This is not some unknown language that was said and everybody else goes, I don't know what they said, but I'm sure they got a blessing from God. There's a specific intended design to understand clearly and to have, and when you study the accounts of this, to have someone be able to interpret what was being said so that there was an understanding, a communication. So when tongues were spoken in the church, they were to be interpreted by someone with the gift of interpretation so that the others might be edified by God, by the God-given message that was being uh, spoken, prophesied. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5, verse 13, and verse 27, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you would see more on this and on those. So, in summation, on our survey, I understand this is not a very exegetically expository study, verse by verse understanding here this morning. But I wanted to take time to give a little bit of a survey of these gifts so that as we continue to study and we understand in context, it comes together in these ways with more understanding and discernment. So these four are referred to as the miraculous sign gifts that were given by the Spirit to authenticate the new revelation that constituted now the New Testament, the completed work of God, uh, the written work of God. So once the New Testament was finished, those sign gifts, we believe, ceased to have an active, continuing function in the church today. We believe that they do not have or belong, or they do not belong in the activity of the ministry of the church today. And now scripture remains sufficient to teach that temporary sign gifts do not continue today. Isn't it, what a beauty to be able to hold a copy of God's word 
and to understand that God's word has everything we need in it for this life and this practice. That there's no other source but God's word that is needed to speak wisdom into our life to be able to live godly before God in a right relationship with him. God's word is final. It is complete, and it is for you, and it is for me. It is for us, the church, today. Now, the Bible says we are given spiritual gifts for a purpose. And so this is where we make full circle and come back to what's going on in 1 Corinthians in context. Paul's writing to a church that's mixing up and getting wrong what God had gifted them with the ability to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look with me in verse 25. That there, were, there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. 1 Corinthians 12.25 tells us that the gifts were given for these purposes. That there's no divisions, that there's edification, there's building up for the church. So we consider the, the, the speaking and the serving gifts and how, what, the, what God's inti- intended design was for them. In fact, even in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, I mentioned this passage last week. That passage gives the purpose of the gifts. Peter writes this, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This is important to understand because the Corinthians were clamoring all over each other, trying to say, look at me, look what I have, look what I can do. You don't have. Or, I can't do that, I wish I had his, I wish I had hers. And it was causing problems in the church. They were causing problems in the church. So whatever the specific use of each gift was, they each fit together as the parts of the one body working together to make a functional whole. Romans 12 and verse 5 reminds us of this. Working together, fitly joined together, like a physical body, so that we might accomplish the work of God to his glory. So instead of scrambling over ways in which we can identify our special gifts, and when, and instead of running around trying to, trying to force our, because we want to and we desire to serve in this one area, instead of waiting for the Lord to confirm that and provide opportunities and the church to also shore up alongside and confirm that giftedness through the leadership and in the function of the church, let us be careful. And instead focus on being busy with the opportunities in the ways that we know before, Lord, we can serve right now. The message this morning ends with this. Get busy on serving the Lord now on how you know for certain you can when opportunities are presented by Him. Focus on getting busy now in the ways you know you can. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word this morning and to look at, the uh, again, the spiritual gifts, a very, um, really a, a touchy, controversial topic. Lord, we need to understand, and you would desire that we understand your scriptures clearly, correctly, and accurately. Lord, I pray that we continue to search them, whether this be so. Lord, I pray that as an overall general um, application this morning, that you'd work in our hearts to identify how we need to work together. That sometimes our desires and our wants can get in the way of, of what you desire 
Change our hearts to see, to know, and to do what you desire for us in the church. Help each and every one, even as we consider local church membership and being part of a body of Christ. Lord, help us to see the value and the need for that, the benefits of that. Lord, help us to never come complacent or, or anyone to become comfortable with just floating here and there. To become part, to become active in the body of Christ. Thank you for your gifting and equipping, granting us abilities and, and, and the giftedness to serve you for the purpose of bringing glory to you and edifying the church. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has never received the gift of eternal life, I pray that they would realize that need and understand that it's as simple. Receiving that gift is as simple as recognizing, agreeing with you, and turning from sin, placing their faith and their complete trust in Jesus Christ to work on Calvary for the forgiveness of sin so they might receive the eternal life. Thank you for the gift of salvation, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.